This is Conceptions and Misconceptions and Studying the Gospels with Dr. Dan Gertner. Today we're looking at Mark 8. Uh, Dr. Gertner, can you uh, launch us into the text? Sure. We're looking at what is often called the um, Confession of Peter or Peter's Confession. But uh, really this, like every passage in the Gospels, is really about Jesus. And what triggers this, this scene is the question about who is Jesus? Who do people say that I am? And like all the other passages that we've looked in, looked at in the Gospels, we want to get some idea of the context, and we want to try to get some idea first of what Mark is trying to say to his original readers. So let's let's look a little bit. We're in Mark chapter eight at uh, the context of this. A so-called confession of Peter, and especially mm-hmm. the scene right before it, because as we've we've talked about before, and as the Gospel of John tells us, that Jesus did so many things that I suppose the whole world couldn't contain the books that were written about it. Now right. there's some hyperbole there, but Jesus did a lot of stuff. Yeah, and if you read through the Gospel of Mark, it might take you three or four hours. Mm-hmm. Now we get the impression from from the life of Jesus that he spent more than three or four hours teaching and preaching and doing ministry. So we're getting a very, very condensed summary of Jesus' life and ministry. So what we have is the gospel authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit selecting some things, leaving some things out, um, adapting some of the wording here and there, and arranging it. Sometimes it's chronological. Sometimes it's not chronological, but it's always deliberate. Remember what we talked about when we looked at Luke 1, and and Luke isn't the same as Mark, but I think they have similar purposes sure. in that Luke says that he's putting together for Theophilus an orderly account of the things that, that have occurred. Right. So Mark also is orderly. So my point in all that is to say that Mark is putting together here an orderly account of this healing of the blind man at Bethsaida right before the the confession of Peter as kind of a historically enacted parable. Yeah. And by that, I mean, when, when we look at parables, we sort of say there's stories that Jesus made up, but this is a story that really happened, but it right. also illustrates something. Yeah. So it's a miracle, and miracles are real and historical, but it also serves to illustrate something about this man's eyes physically seeing things and is an is analogous to the way the eyes of Peter's faith spiritually see things. Well, let's look at this this healing of the blind yeah. man at Bethsaida. Yeah, this starts in what, verse uh, 22? Verse 22, Mark 8, 22 to 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him, Jesus obviously, mm-hmm. a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out, led him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, He asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, 
I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Now, we know from the miracles we've seen before that Jesus can heal people instantly. Yeah. He doesn't even have to be in the same place yeah, he to heal have people. To touch him. Right. So there's something illustrated here. He's healing him in stages. The first time he sees, he sees sort of vaguely. And mm-hmm. then it becomes more clear later. And then comes Peter's confession. And, and I think Mark is is putting this story like this and in this place because that's how Peter's confession works. He right. confesses that Jesus is the Christ. So he sees that Jesus is the Christ, but it's not real clear to Peter what that means. Mm-hmm. That's going to become more clear later on. Yeah. So let's let's look at this story of Peter's confession and sort of see how that works. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot here. And these two paragraphs in, in my Bible, I have an ESV Bible with paragraph headings on top of them. And really, this sort of makes you think that they're two different sections, but they're really one unit. Yeah. And they belong together, and we'll see why. So Peter went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. So they're, they're up north, north of the Sea of Galilee. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Now, we, we remember just, I think it was in chapter 6 of Mark, we find out what happens with John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist is killed. So maybe they think that John the Baptist has now been raised from the dead. Yeah. Um, something like that. Some say, uh, others say Elijah. Uh, we know from Malachi 4 that people were to expect that Elijah was supposed to come before the Messiah. Well, maybe mm-hmm. some people think that John the Baptist wasn't the one who is coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, that it, Jesus is the one who's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then others, one of the prophets. So he, he's sort of polling them for what's the popular opinion. But that that's sort of the warm-up questions to verse 29. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Now, the Christ could mean Messiah. It could be anointed one. Hmm. Um, like, like King Cyrus in the Old Testament was called the anointed of the Lord. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to mean Messiah. Now, obviously, here he means Messiah. Mm-hmm. But verse 30, th- this kind of gets confusing because all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody this. Right. And we might think, why? Yeah. You'd think, he knows who Jesus is. Why wouldn't you want to tell anybody? Mm-hmm. Well, Let's keep reading. And this is why this paragraph division here is so important that we kind of ignore that. Mm -hmm. Because in verse 31, we're going to see something really important that hasn't happened in the Gospel of Mark before. We'll see how how we know that. Verse 31, 
Mark says, he began, he that is Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man, here he's referencing himself in terms from Daniel chapter 7, must suffer many things. Now, before we go on and, and see that, what what happened here is, and I think Matthew's account says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples. So it's a little bit more explicit. But the yeah. point is that uh, Jesus began to teach them something that he hadn't been teaching them before. Mm-hmm. Well, what has occurred that all of a sudden Jesus is teaching them something new? Well, the only thing that has occurred, go ahead. Yeah, well, Peter's recognized who he is. He doesn't really know what that means yet, but yeah. there's been a recognition. There's been a recognition. For the first time in Mark's gospel, a person has said, you are the Christ. Right. Now, when Jesus casts out demons, they're saying all the time, we know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the son of God. All this kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. This is the first time where a person says, you're the Christ. Mm-hmm. And so what Jesus does here in Mark's gospel Right off the bat, don't tell anybody. Now, what Jesus does is you've used the term, I'm going to define it. So we, we've all had these tests like in high school where they say, I'm going to give you a term and you you give the definition. So th- yeah. that that's what's happening here. Peter's used the term. Jesus is giving the definition. And here's Jesus' definition. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. And and notice that word must. This is essential. So there's no ambiguity about what that Christ term means. So Peter used the term. Jesus jumps on the opportunity and says, Here's the definition of the Christ. Mm-hmm. And verse 32, Mark says, he said this plainly. And <laughs> Peter, who just said you're the Christ, there's some huge difference. Pulls Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. Right. He rebukes. He just got done calling him the Christ. Right. And now you're rebuking him. Yeah. What's the problem? Well, I think his his understanding was so far off, or what he assumed uh, uh, it meant to be the Christ was so far from what Jesus told him. He just like he felt like he had to say that can't be right. Sure, yeah. Now we could get into speculations about what that mm. might be, and there are all kinds of ideas about what the Messiah might be, and we don't know what Peter was thinking. Mm. All we know is what Jesus said about the Christ was not what Peter thought. Right. Peter, whatever it is that Jesus said, what Jesus said is the Christ. Peter says, whatever my conception of the Christ is, it's not that. Yeah. That is not the Christ. Mm -hmm. And he, he's so adamant about it that he's willing to pull aside the one he just called the Messiah and rebuke him. Yeah. Now here's the kicker. Because Jesus turning and seeing his disciples, in other words, I think what Jesus is doing here 
is saying this in front of everybody. Yeah, I was going to so ask this that. Is, yeah, this is not just this is not just a private issue anymore. This is now. Uh, you, you said this to me. Now this this is bigger than just you and me, Peter. Mm-hmm. Because uh, and look at what Jesus says to Peter, because this is hard. Because Jesus says all kinds of nasty things to the Pharisees. Mm. He calls them blind guides, yeah. whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, uh, all this kinds of all these kinds of things. The worst and harshest thing he calls anybody in the Bible is this. Mm. He calls him Satan. Yeah. Now that's that's nasty. Yeah. But what's what I think the point is, he says, get behind me, Satan. Why? For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So your vocabulary, your terminology is spot on, Mm -hmm. but your concept is polar opposite of what God desires for the Messiah to be. In fact, it is so opposite that your conception of what it means to be the Messiah is satanic. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. That's awful. And it's in front of the others, I don't think to embarrass Peter, but probably to inform them of the same thing, right? Well, we go back to verse 31, and I think this is part of Jesus' teaching. Hmm. So, no, I don't think it's deliberately to embarrass for the sake of embarrassment. Mm. I think it is part of the instruction because my guess, remember who else are the, are the disciples are? There's Simon the Zealot. Mm. He's probably having similar kind of ideas. Sure, yeah. Uh, and others. I mean, we don't know, but the, the fact that Jesus dies and raises from the dead even after Jesus says several times that he's going to die and the raise from the dead. And then whenever he's crucified, all the disciples are confused and scared. Right. And, yeah. the, and they're, they're, the last thing that they expect for some reason is that he rises from the dead. Yeah. It says that they're still confused. Yeah. So what Jesus just says here is probably not unique to Peter. Right. And Jesus knows it. Yeah. Now, Maybe we should tie this back into the 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 parable because there is a lot of parallels here, right? Sure. Because he he does it, it. It's so fascinating to me that like Peter, he gets the question right at the beginning. He totally understands. You know, you think he just like nailed it. It almost it reminds me a little bit of uh, the Mary and Martha um, uh, comparison from uh, the the par- not the parable the the narrative we did earlier about a uh, uh, Lazarus. Yes. That Martha just straight up is like, oh, I, I know who you are. I know what you can do, Jesus. Like, you just, you just, we have faith that you can do it. And we almost, it, it reminded me of this because I almost imagined Peter was going to do the same thing. And of course, he just totally doesn't do that. Right. Um, but it, it is similar to what we see in that enacted parable a few verses earlier that, that, yeah, this blind man can see, but he also knows that it's like, it's not right. I, I can see something, but it looks like trees walking around. Right. So Peter Peter can see that Jesus is the Christ, but his vision is so blurry 
that he doesn't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of the point. Yeah. Which is amazing whenever, I mean, we're getting outside of Mark, but it is amazing whenever we get to even, even Luke or Acts chapter one, when, when, uh, Jesus is crucified, he's raised from the dead. He's now about to ascend to heaven. And the disciples are saying, okay, uh, are we ready to uh, now restore the kingdom to Israel? Right. And it's like, okay, can we, can we get, now we got this part out of the way, can we kind of get rid of the Romans and move on or whatever they're thinking? Hmm. And then go into Jerusalem. It's not for you to know the day and the hour, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then, you know, my, my pastor used to say, call Peter, ready, fire, aim, Peter. <laughs> Next thing you know, when the Spirit comes upon him and acts, he's waxing eloquently. He's thoughtful. He's, he's informed. Mm. And he follows the lead of the spirit. And you get the sense that they're that all the apostles are tripping over themselves and, and recognizing it, even like the conversion of Cornelius, mm. whenever he has this vision of these this food being let down oh, right, um, right. by the sheet. He intuitively recog- he's so in step with what the Lord is doing by the spirit in this, that he intuitively recognizes, look, this isn't about me having an alligator sandwich. This is about the inclusion of Gentiles as Gentiles into the people of God. So right. he, he goes from having everything in his narrow-minded box to being tethered to the, to the teachings of God in Scripture, but open to the work of the Spirit of God in the hearts and lives of people in a really fascinating way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's, it's interesting to see how harsh this is. It certainly seems that way. And I think it is that way for Peter, but I'm sure this was a, a huge moment of realization for him. You know, I think it would be because remember, at least according to church tradition, the gospel of Mark is written by John Mark as the memoirs of the Apostle Peter. Hmm. So when we see Peter fumbling and bumbling in the Gospel of Mark, he, he's sort of airing his own dirty laundry hmm. to us. And, it, and it's like he's saying, look at the mistakes I've made. Yeah. Uh, so th- this is coming, this is likely coming to us 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet in a totally different language from, from Peter himself. So... I think we can take a lesson from that. Hmm. And and one of the lessons I take from that, and so sort of moving from text to appli- from text to application, I think yeah. I think Mark is telling his readers that obviously they need to understand who the Messiah is on the Messiah's own terms. Hmm. So and and that and I think the same application is is for us that when we think we can think of Jesus, just thinking in pastoral ministry in our church for listeners who might just be, you're struggling with things, uh, a wayward child, a health crisis, a uh, challenging marriage or uh, unemployment or, or whatever it might be. Jesus is certainly uh, a counselor, a friend, a healer. He is all those things. Of course, yeah. But he's not less than a savior. Hmm. My point is to say, that Jesus in this passage insists it, it is necessary 
that he he's more than suffering and dying for sins, but he's not less. Yeah. In other words, we can never allow our understanding of of Christ and who he is in our own walk and in our churches to be less than suffering and dying for sins. He could be more. Yeah. But but nevertheless, it reminds me of boy, I can't remember what how long ago this was. Do you remember uh, somewhere in Southeast Asia, I should have thought about this before, when mm. that soccer team, the boys' soccer team was trapped in these caves oh, in, yeah. uh, in, in these floods, and they were trapped in these caves, and these these divers went in, right. and they had the scuba gear on, and they go through these caves, and they had these cameras on, and I'm looking at watching this on live TV, and I'm kind of claustrophobic to begin with. <laughs> And they're showing these maps of these caves, and the water is all murky. It's pitch black, yeah. and these dive and they're showing how these caves go all over the place, up, downs, forwards, backwards, sideways, and there's no way they could find their way around if it weren't for the fact that they have this rope mm. that is tied to them that enables them to find their way back. Yeah, and the gospel, what what Jesus is saying here about who he is in verse 31 is that lifeline. Mm. That is that lifeline in our churches that we always need to keep a firm grip on, that gospel message that no matter where we go in our ministries, whether we're, we're doing outreach to the poor, whether we're serving people in mental health, whether we're, feed, we're housing the homeless, whether they're feeding the needy, whether we're going overseas and building shelters for people no matter what we're doing we dare not let go of that that lifeline that tether to the son of man suffering many things uh being killed and after day after three days rising again suffering and dying for our sins that's the gospel message that i think is isn't ours to sacrifice isn't ours yeah. to give up jesus takes that very seriously and i think we need to take that very seriously in our own faith and in our churches yeah this is kind of the fundamental the fundamental aspect of our faith absolutely yeah well i'm sure there's more we could get into with this but that's a pretty good uh that's a pretty good wrap-up right there i think sure do you have any ideas of what you want to talk about next time healing the paralytic in uh, Luke chapter five. Okay. Sounds great. Uh, Dr. Gertner, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Mm -hmm.